Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome to the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast about the Kansas City Royals uploading every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now that we are finally back, where I, I finally returned. I mean, we are not back. You have probably been here this entire time wondering what in the world happened to that weirdo on the internet who calls himself Lux. Where did he go? He said he was going to be back like two weeks ago, and he's still not here. Yeah, um, I guess I should explain that a little bit. I did say I was going to be back a while ago. Uh, I went on a fairly lengthy road trip. Took about ten days or so. The last thing I did when I was in Kansas City, um, I went to a baseball game. You want to know what game I went to? It was it was a Dodgers game. Um, it was that Dodgers game. In fact, that was what I did. And then uh, Sunday, left there, left KC, uh, went to St. Louis to see a Cardinals game. Saw Albert Pujols hit two home runs. Then the next day, went to Cincinnati, watched Mike Miner pitch. That was um, c- comparatively. Less exciting. Also, um, weird thing happened. It was one of the last... It was the the day before Joey Votto's last game. Because Joey Votto played the next day, and then it was announced he would be out for the entire season. So, uh, yeah, I watched one of Joey Votto's last games of the season. Not of his career. He, he's coming back next year. But uh, he went over 4 and grounded into a double play. And he saw a total of four pitches. He swung at the first pitch every single time. (laughs) Joey Votto, the man who's known for having Hall of Fame plate discipline, saw four pitches and produced five outs. (laughs) God. Of all the games to go to. Anyway, the day after that, went to Cleveland, where I saw the Guardians take on the Tigers. And the umpires decided to do something stupid to blow the game for the Guardians. So, another interesting game that I saw. Then the next day, went to the uh, Pirates game where they were playing the Red Sox. So I saw Eric Hosmer make an error. Common Hosmer L. And a couple days after that, went to New York. Saw a Yankee game. The Yankees were playing the Blue Jays. And I saw Whit Merrifield hit a home run by bouncing the wall, bouncing the ball off the top of the wall two times before going over. And then later in the game, Andrew Benintendi hit a two-run home run, which ended up being the game winner for the Yankees. So you know, I walked into Yankee Stadium with my royal blue KC cap, and uh, some people were just kind of like. Who's this guy? Where did he come from? But at the end of it, there people were like, "This guy's okay. He's all right." Uh, yeah, and I didn't get back into the city uh, until Tuesday of that week. So if you're keeping track, that was like what the twenty third or so. Uh, and yeah, that's when I said I would be back. But uh, I was just way too exhausted from that trip. Plus, plus I didn't get back until, like, m- the middle of the day anyway. And uh, for the whole time since then, I've just been really 
disoriented and disorganized. I mean, I'm kind of disorganized anyway, but it's been, it just hasn't been great. You know, I've been, uh, haven't been, haven't been sleeping well for the last couple of weeks, which of course, you know, it, it would be funny to comment on how that relates to the Royals. Like, oh, I can't sleep because the Royals are just so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wish my life was going so well that the Royals were the biggest thing I had to worry about, that they were the, the main cause of stress in my life. Unfortunately, my life is not that exciting. I've got other issues like anxiety, which has nothing to do with baseball. Although I do get anxious about the Royals sometimes, like, do we have a future? Are things going to be okay? Will the Royals make it to the playoffs before the earth burns up? Uh, yeah, but anyway, I apologize for not being around for the past couple of weeks. I've just, I've just been really out of it in life and I guess within the Royals sphere itself. I haven't been watching the team so much. That's why I haven't really been super eager to bounce back into uh, talking about the Royals. Because, I mean, who wants to listen to the opinion of some guy who hasn't even really been watching the team? Yeah, nah, I don't want to do that. You deserve better. There are lots of other fantastic people within the Royals taco sphere, whether it's article writers like David Lesky or podcasters like Royals Weekly. I have a cup. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, there are lots of other fantastic voices in the Royals community, so not only do you have them to provide some insight, but I also want to, you know, say things that could... How should I put this? Not compete against them or anything, because, I mean, we're just kind of, We're all just kind of... We're all in this together, you know? We all want to just provide different voices for the community. And I, I just want to kind of stand amongst them, you know? I don't want to be, like, you know, the guy who's kind of working within the community, but people are like, oh, yeah, that guy sucks. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to him. He's just some weirdo who's been watching VTubers while the Royals are losing baseball games. Who cares what he thinks? I mean, that that, that is true, but, you know, look, I have feelings, okay? So, gosh. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. I'm finally back, finally watching the Royals again, and I have a couple of things that I want to catch up with. Basically, it's funny, I was writing down a list of things that I kind of wanted to talk about, but it's actually just separated into two different categories, which are offensive struggles and pitching question mark. I just wrote a question mark out of it. I, I don't know if you can necessarily call it struggles. I think... Within the Royals, pitching is a perpetual, endless struggle, but there have been some good things happening with it, particularly this year and this second half of the season. Not as much as we might hope, but some of the some of them are I guess I'm just asking questions about the pitching more than I'm actually talking about some struggles, which is a big theme for the offense. The offense has been struggling. It hasn't been so great. In fact, that, that first week that I was gone, the week of August 15th to the 21st, the Royals had one of their worst stretches. And I was kind of uh, joking with the Reddit community, the r slash Casey Royals, the place that I moderate, by the way. And I'm like, wow, you guys just, you, you really need me that much. You miss me that badly. I'm out 
traveling across the country. I can't be watching the Royals, and this is what happens. This is what happens when I leave. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the if I'm the problem. Maybe it's me, because I didn't really get into the Royals community until mid 2016, which just seemed to be the exact moment things started falling apart for the Royals, where everybody got injured, everybody started struggling, the team started losing, and it's been like, it's been all downhill ever since. And it's like, did I do something? Is it me? Am I the issue? Am I why the Royals can't have nice things anymore? Is that why they have such bizarre, unexplainable problems? Am I why this front office operates on the most baffling logic that nobody can even think of? Is it my fault? Did I bring this upon everybody? But then I leave for a week and I see what it's like without me. And it's horrible. It's abysmal. It's awful. No, it's not me. I'm not the problem. I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I am not the curse. I will not stand for this. I'm better than that. It's everyone else that's the issue, I think. I don't know what the issue is. I don't think anybody knows what the issue, but in any case, that week of the August 15th to the 21st, the Royals scored 10 runs. 10 runs in an entire week. A seven-game stretch where they scored 10 runs total. I think you can figure out the math for yourself. That is one point, not a lot of runs per game for an entire week. Here's the thing, though. It's not a big deal. It's really not that big of a deal to see this offense struggling because this offense is so young. People get super reactionary. Again, let me remind you, I moderate the Royal subreddit. I have to see basically everything that gets posted to there. And uh, yeah, again, people get very, very reactionary when things, either when things do or don't go their way, actually. Like right now, big deal for everybody is that Emmanuel Rivera is hitting really well for the Diamondbacks. And Look, I'm not saying that Emmanuel Rivera can't be a good hitter and that the Royals didn't make a mistake. I just don't think you should worry about it too much. I just think it's unlikely that he's going to keep this up. I mean, he could, and I could be wrong. I could be the a-hole in this situation. It's just a random example, but let me get back to the point. This young offense has been struggling, and so people have been like, Oh my god, all these guys suck. Like, we were told this was the future with Vinny Pasquantino and Kyle Isbell and Nick Prado and Bobby Wood Jr. And they can't hit. They can't score. It's awful. It's like, dude, calm down. It's not a big deal. They're young. Yeah, they started off really nicely. It was fun for a bit. They're in a cold stretch. They're in a bit of a slump. It happens. And it especially happens with young players like this. This is actually why everybody was so, or a lot of people, rather, were so um, eager to see these players earlier in the year. That's why we were saying back in May, like, we need to call the, the young guys up, like, right now. We need to call up Nick Prado and Vinny Pasquantino and et, et cetera, et cetera. We need them up in the major leagues right now. We were saying that back in May because 
we knew they were going to struggle at some point. It was not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It's not like you can just call up a bunch of prospects and then suddenly you have a playoff caliber team. I understand maybe in some circumstances, you know, some teams can form really, really quickly. They can have a really, really young core and still be capable of winning. Like the Orioles have been really good this year. I think the Guardians actually have the youngest team in the majors. Although, have you actually seen the Guardians lineup? I just want to want to ask you something. Have you actually seen the Guardians lineup? It's, it's actually not that good outside of Jose Ramirez and maybe Stephen Kwan. It's really not the best. But, you know, they were going to run into a skid. The league was going to adjust to them and they were going to run into some issues. That's why we wanted them up sooner. So that we can get these problems out of the way, and then later on, when, you know, competition is more important and and we have higher expectations, they'll be ready to compete consistently. So don't get worried when a player is in a slump, or even if the team is in a slump, or whatever. It doesn't matter. At this point, things really don't matter. What matters most is that these guys play. And one thing that I think is kind of nice is that it seems like that is some sort of theme going on with management because at some point Mike Matheny had said that they have a, a, a this revolutionary technology called a spreadsheet that they have in the clubhouse that keeps track of playing time so that everybody's kind of rotating in and out and I guess maybe the expectation is that they all get equal playing time although of course that's not actually happening but we are seeing some guys like MJ Melendez get some more time off. And uh, I, I think that's good. I think it's actually pretty important that everybody gets uh, a fair amount of opportunities. Now, am I saying that the uh, the spreadsheet is fixing everything? Am I saying that it's actually giving equal opportunities or that its logic is perfectly sound? No, not really, because we're still seeing a lot of Hunt Dozier we're actually seeing more Ryan O'Hearn than we did throughout most of the summer. Ryan O'Hearn seriously went from literally playing, like, one game every two weeks to, oh, suddenly he's starting at DH again every few days. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Maybe the spreadsheet told him to. It is, it is what it is. But at least we're seeing, you know, these guys just getting some more reps, some more time in the majors because... Again, they need to build some experience. And you know what? Failure comes with experience. I said months ago that uh, I kind of uh, was uh, trying to make the, a thing catch on. It didn't catch on, but it caught on for myself, and that's fine. I was saying, let the kids fail. You know, because the Royals were saying, back when we were all arguing about Vinny Pasquantino, or rather... All of us were arguing that Vinny Pasquantino should be in the major leagues, and then a couple of people who work for the Royals said no. And they, the people who said no, were like, well, we don't want him to come up and, you know, not be very good or something like that. And it's like, it, that shouldn't matter. Like, obviously, he's not going to be a star immediately. That's not what we expect. Just let him try. Let him try. Just give him a taste of the majors. It's what he needs more than anything, all right? So, again, don't worry about a cold stretch. Don't worry about games where it seems like the offense just hasn't really shown up or whatever. 
Could be a bad day. Could be a good pitcher. It is what it is. Again, it's important. It's important to fail sometimes. Sometimes failure just comes with the the learning experience. But there are some guys that I will uh, just kind of harp on. Some guys that I'm going to highlight as some big problems within this lineup. So the first one is Michael A. Taylor. Michael A. Taylor was someone that I think a lot of people expected to be traded at the deadline because he was hitting better than he has in his entire career. And that's really good because Michael A. Taylor is already a very good defensive center fielder. So if he's hitting even a little bit competently, that's some incredible value, especially since his contract is very, very team-friendly. He's only making $4.5 million this year, and it's going to repeat for next year. That's awesome. So it seemed like a nice trade candidate. Royals held on to them. And ever since that trade deadline, MAT has been hitting 220 with a 260 on base and a 319 slugging. Uh, he's he's walked four times and he's struck out 28 times. And these numbers are pretty telling because they go pretty well against what he was doing in the first half of the season. I feel like, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but I feel like in the first half of the season, he was, ha- he was posting a walk rate of about 10% and, uh, and was striking out less than 25% of the time. And now he's basically just throwing that out the window. He's basically turning back into the hitter that he was last year, which is that he makes contact an okay amount. I mean, actually, these numbers are worse than last year. You know, everyone talks about his about MAT being like this awful hitter last season. He still hit 244 with a 297 on base, which, you know, isn't like I'm not saying this is good. Like it's not it's it's really not that good, especially since he doesn't have a lot of power and he strikes out way too much for, you know, those kinds of numbers. But still, it's not like he was just the worst. It's not like he was putting up um like Chris Davis numbers, <laughs> right? But still this uh, since the trade deadline this year, MAT is kind of going back to that 2021 season, and that's not very good. However, I don't think it's the end of the world because, like I said back at the trade deadline, I kind of thought maybe you can hold on to MAT and he'd be more of an off-season trade candidate instead. Like I do think maybe it would have been ideal to trade him at the deadline, but again, not the end of the world. You can probably trade him in this offseason. And I really don't see how you don't trade him in the offseason. I was thinking maybe the Royals were overvaluing MAT because they saw his first half of the season and they're like, "Hey, look, he's hitting really really well." But other teams are like, "Okay, but he's never ever hit like this in his entire career." So we're not going to buy this three-month improvement. We're going to look at you know his, whole, his full career totals, basically. But even thinking about that, even with that in mind, you know, if MAT isn't a hitter like he, showed, like he was in the first half of the season, you can still look at his time with the Royals and see that there is a very noticeable improvement. The two seasons before coming to the Royals... MAT was below replacement value. And since then, Baseball Reference has him at 5.5 war in the two seasons 
since signing with Kansas City. So you can actually look at him and say, hey, look, you're getting at least two war for this guy, probably just by defensive value alone. Like this season, MAT hasn't been a crazy nuts bananas defender like he was last season. I mean, last season was just unreal. I, I still think he should have gotten the platinum glove. That was just like, if, if you hit a ball anywhere towards center field, it was over. I mean, he got it. He just made some of the best plays ever. And he still does make some really, really great plays this season. He's still a good defender, a very good defender at that. So you think just by defensive value alone, you're getting something out of MAT. His bat, you know, probably not like it was at the beginning of the season, but also not so terrible that it's going to be like a complete black hole in your lineup. Like, if that's going to be your number eight hitter, it's probably not the the worst thing that can happen. Or you can just accept him as a bench player. That's also fine. Because he's only making $4.5 million next season. He's on a very, very cheap contract. So I think that he still has some solid value and that the Royals can trade him in the offseason. I don't know why they wouldn't aside, but, you know, they're the Royals. So usually when we think that they should do something, we're like, hey, this makes a lot of sense. The Royals don't do that. They're probably going to be like, hey, what about next season? Maybe he'll, you know, hit really well at the beginning of the next season. Yay. And, you know, that's going to go really well, just like it did for, Carlos Santana and Whit Merrifield. Hmm. Well, looking forward to that happening. But another guy who was I was also saying could be a trade candidate in the offseason, but is looking so unlikely that I would say it's probably impossible at this point, and uh, who is also struggling uh, at the plate, it's Hunter Dozier. It's everybody's favorite royal, Hunter Dozier. Since the All-Star break, and keep in mind this is 30 games, so it's a larger sample size than MAT where I was going back basically through the month of August. Um, 30 games for Hunter Dozier, the last 30. He's hitting 186 with a 238 on base and a 257 slugging. He has hit one home run in the last 30 games. He struck out 33 times and only walked eight times. And he's grounded into six double plays. Just in this time. Basically, Hunter Dozier grounds into a double play once every five games. Hmm. I'm not even sure what to say because... You know, I've all, I've I've really tried to defend Hunter Dozier. I want to believe in him, and I'm not even trying to. I don't even do that to say that I don't know. Like I think he's going to be an All Star at some point or anything like that, right? But I still think that, or at least still hope that he could have been a productive hitter. And for what it's worth, he really wasn't like an awful hitter in the first half of the season or so. He still had. You know, for most of the season, he was still flirting with like a 110 or 120 OPS plus. In fact, despite how awful he's been lately, he still has a 95 work plus for the full season or 
weighted runs created plus, of course. So, even with this horrible stretch in mind, he hasn't had an awful season. Now, I understand Hunter Dozier does many things wrong, such as that he cannot uh, field any position defensively. He cannot run the bases competently at all. Uh, he also cannot play in Canada. So a 95 work plus is not particularly acceptable. That's basically saying he's 5% below the league average as a hitter alone. So you don't want a below average hitter who can't really provide any value anywhere else. Even that, you know, but when I was saying earlier that he had like a 110, 120 OPS plus, even that is not really enough to salvage the other negative aspects of his game. But it's at, it was at least something, right? But now we're basically getting 2021 first half Hunter Dozier again in the second half of 2022. And um, the best is yet to come because... He's owed seven and a half million for next season, and I think nine and a half for the season after. Yeah, that's freaking wonderful. Oh yeah, and I also, you know, mentioned the six ground ball double plays, just because it always feels like Hunter Dozier is the least clutch hitter in baseball. Like he just seems to come up short in every single big moment. Anytime runners are on base, Hunter Dozier comes up the bat, it's like, nope, this inning's over. <laughs> We're screwed. He's not getting anything done. And, uh, yeah, that just kind of seems to be the case a lot of the time. So, yeah, six ground ball double plays. Still, I don't think it's maybe the end of the world with the Royals and Hunter Dozier. I think that, I mean, he, we're stuck with him, right? So we have to think positively. We have to think positively, guys. We have to try. We have to find something that Hunter Dozier can be good at, okay? Because because we have no other choice. Still, next year, it's not going to be so bad if he becomes the Ryan O'Hearn of this team. You know, for as much crap as we give Ryan O'Hearn for simply existing... He really hasn't made himself as much of a problem as we might imply. Just because he doesn't play that often. I mean, really, he went... I, I mean, I don't have the numbers. I, don't, I, have, I haven't, like, wrote, written down, like, Ryan O'Hearn's playing time throughout the season and all the games he's played in. But it seriously felt like for the entire month of July and maybe August, he played, like, three games or something like he would come out to to bat for one inning and that would be it for two weeks all right it's like he, he just wasn't around <laughs> at all so even though he takes up a roster spot and i guess you could say well that roster spot could be someone go it could go to someone more valuable i kind of look at it in a different way where i say this roster spot could have been taken up by somebody who sure is more valuable but would they be getting more playing time? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, Ryan O'Hearn is a bench sitter so that no one else has to be a bench sitter. So that we can get more time with Kyle Isbell, although they don't really play Kyle Isbell uh, all that much. But Michael Massey, you know, Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino, those other 
outfielders that we have. MJ Melendez playing right field or left field. You know, he's able to do that because we don't have to worry about giving Ryan O'Hearn more time on the field. So, basically, it's like, yeah, Ryan O'Hearn may be kind of annoying that he's still around, but at the same time, better him to sit on the bench all season than any of these other young guys, right? And maybe that role will be shifted to Hunter Dozier going forward, where obviously Hunter Dozier just can't really do anything productive for us, but he could be that guy who just kind of sits on the bench and, you know, only appears when, you know, the Royals just kind of need someone to play somewhere. And for what it's worth, Hunter Dozier at least provides a little more value than Ryan O'Hearn because he can play third base. I'm not saying he plays third base well, but he plays third base, which Ryan O'Hearn cannot do at all. So there's a little bit more positional versatility with him, at least. You can have Hunter Dozier come off the bench every now and then, maybe get a start every now and then, and I don't think it'll be so bad. I mean, obviously, look, again, I'm not saying that this is, like, a good thing for the Royals. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to lessen the damage here. How can we lessen the damage of Hunter Dozier as much as we can? I mean, maybe... I mean, I guess technically the the best idea would be to just cut him entirely. But we know that's not going to happen. Maybe in 2023. Like, after next season, maybe they can cut him. Maybe even then they can find, you know, like, like they can find a, a team. Like, they can, they can use him as a salary dump. You know, they can ship him off to a rebuilding team like Oakland or Cincinnati and just be like, here. Take this $9 million player that we don't want. We'll give you a young prospect that we kind of aren't really using, like Kyle Isbell, for example. I've always kind of envisioned maybe the Royals could do that at some point with Hunter Dozier. Kind of like how they did that with Brandon Moss a few years ago. Even though, still, Brandon, even Brandon Moss was more valuable. Because Brandon Moss actually hit 20 home runs in that one year with the Royals. Hunter Dozier can't do that either. Is there anything... I, look, I'm really trying, guys. I'm really doing my best to think of something. Okay? God. But there's one other guy that we have to talk about. There's one other guy I really need to complain about because it hasn't been good lately, and I'm not sure if I foresee it getting much better. And this one actually kind of hurts because I really want him to be better. I'm really rooting for this guy, right? It's Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez has not been a good hitter this season. He's actually been a pretty awful hitter this season. 240, 294, 287. I mean, I, I read those that I read his slash line in proper order. But I also kind of just didn't say which number was which because it doesn't matter which number is which. Those are all bad. <laughs> it's all bad. But, uh, yeah, actually, his slugging is lower than his on-base percentage. Which I guess isn't super surprising because even last year, it was his slugging was barely above his on-base. But, I mean, that's just the hitter Nicky Lopez is. He hits singles and uh, not a lot of <laughs> anything else. Really, maybe he can leg out a double every now and then, or even a triple, but uh, he doesn't hit any home runs. He has zero home runs this season in 427 plate appearances. That's bad. It's really, really bad. How bad is it? Um, how about fourth lowest work plus 
in baseball. In all of baseball. Yeah. That bad. So, uh... And it, it, again, it sucks. Because Nicky Lopez is a great guy. We've all... We're, I, I think everyone in Kansas City is really pulling for this guy. He seems to be a great guy to have in the clubhouse. He's one of those. He's one of those guys that you know everyone talks about how hard he works and stuff like that. But then we actually saw it when it mattered most this season, when you know half the team decided that they didn't want to play baseball anymore, at least for you know a, a good long weekend. But Nicky Lopez was out here being like, "Nah, man, like I gotta step up, and you, you know I got I'm gonna do the right thing, and I am gonna you know show up, and I'm gonna work my ass off, and things like that. And that's great." Like, I, I really want Nicky Lopez to be good. I really want him to, you know, have another season where he hits 300. Even though, you know, everyone kind of thought that wasn't going to last. You know, it, it wasn't very likely that it, it was going to last. It seemed like that was an aberration. But still, you could at least hope he could keep the average up a little bit. Maybe hit, like, 260, 270. And he could still take pitches pretty well you know he he did that pretty decently last season in fact the past couple of seasons he has an, a walk rate almost at 10 percent but this season it's down to six percent which is not good at all and uh yeah it's just uh it's just unfortunate he's been a really really poor hitter this season but he does in some way make up for it with his glove, because Nicky Lopez is still one of the best defensive, I guess, infielders of the season, because I, I, I would love to say just shortstop in general, but he hasn't been playing shortstop full-time, and kind of like Michael A. Taylor, he hasn't been as great as he was last season, like, last season he was just like, he, he was just freaking baller, dude, like, last season was insane, but he still provides a lot of value defensively, so... At least in the case of this, you know, kind of unlike Hunter Dozier, you actually can benefit from having Nicky Lopez on your bench. Because the defensive value is super high. I mean, you're talking about potentially one of the best defensive shortstops. Yeah, you can absolutely use that in some capacity. It doesn't even matter if, doesn't matter if you're a last place team or a first place team. That's something that you want on your bench. So, I still think there is some hope for Nicky Lopez, that he can still produce a little bit. I, I just hope maybe in the future, maybe next season, I don't know. Like, what, what needs to happen for Nicky to become a better hitter? Like, a little bit of a different swing? I don't know, maybe just some better contact or some better plate discipline? Something like that? I'm not sure. But hopefully, maybe we can see some improvements going forward because, again, the defensive value is there and it is usable. And... I really want Nicky Lopez to be good because he deserves it, and I really appreciate him. So those have been the big bad three of the Royals lineup. I am going to highlight someone who I really like and I've been really, really excited about, although I was surprised to see this happen. So Drew Waters is in the major leagues. Drew Waters He's the guy that we got from the Braves in that very unusual trade that happened back in June or something where the Royals traded their bonus 
first round pick that they got just for being the Royals. And they got Drew Waters out of it, as well as a couple other prospects. And I was really excited for that trade at the time because Drew Waters just last year was a top 50 prospect. His value fell off super hard because the his inability to take pitches at all had really caught up to him and you know basically he got he got exposed last year so he started really dropping off of uh off of prospect lists and also Atlanta has kind of built a superstar outfield at every position so they're like well we don't need this guy anymore but the Royals and their hitting development seemed like a a right fit for Drew Waters it seemed like with the experience that the Royals organization has in taking what you might consider failed prospects and then turning them into potential star hitters like Nick Prado and MJ Melendez, yeah, I actually looked at this and thought, you know what? The Royals might have really gotten something right here. They might have actually gotten a really, really great player out of this because if the if Drew Saylor and Alex Zumwalt can you know, change this guy's swing, change this guy's approach, it could be, the payoff could be massive for us. And I was really surprised to see Waters up in the major leagues this season. I kind of thought that he he was just going to stay in the minor leagues, continue in AAA for the rest of the season, especially because this season, unlike past seasons, uh, the minor leagues are actually continuing through September, so it's not like you know, it's not like we're watching the minor league playoffs right now. No, that's not happening um, this month. They're actually continuing to play throughout the season. So I thought, yeah, just keep him down there for the rest of the season. Let him just continue working on whatever it is that he's working on, and then he could be a guy you can call up on opening day, 2023, if you really think he's ready. Instead, they called him up now. That was surprising. And what does he do when he comes into the major leagues? He takes a walk. And that walk ends up being a decisive run that leads the Royals to a win. And let me remind you, Drew Waters was considered a failed prospect because he couldn't take walks. He couldn't take pitches and then he gets like a game winning walk in his first game in the major leagues that's what the royals have done with this guy drew waters has pretty much never posted a walk rate above eight percent in the minor leagues then he comes to the royals and even though it's a small sample size only about 30 games his walk rate went up to 14 percent so it's looking like this is a huge success for us. A huge success for Drew Saylor and company in transforming this guy and reverting him into a potential star hitter. That's awesome. And it, it is seriously so awesome. I'm so happy for Drew Waters. I'm really, really excited. I'm surprised that he was called up to the big leagues as soon as he was. But so far, liking what I'm seeing. Really liking what I'm seeing. I mean, you can see his slash line for yourselves. He hasn't hit a home run yet, so it's, you know, slugging's down. But 269 batting average, 367 on base. 
He's walked he's walked four times and struck out nine times, but only nine games, so you know, extremely small sample size. But still, I've been really, really liking Drew Waters so far, and I'm really excited for this guy. This is, I mean, this could. This is why I think it's so likely that Michael A. Taylor gets traded into the and uh, in, into the offseason. And it's actually why I was saying it's not the end of the world if Michael A. Taylor stays here for the rest of the season, because I was thinking you can keep Drew Waters in your system for the rest of the for the rest of the year. And then when you move Michael A. Taylor, that's when you can bring up my, uh, Drew Waters. Because I think Drew Waters has potential to be the, our next center fielder. This could this could be our center fielder of the future. But in the meantime, you know, MAT's here, and, you know, why not? But whatever. <laughs> whatever, he's here now. Michael A. Taylor's also here now, but it, it is what it is. Still super excited for Drew Waters, and, uh, yeah, just shout-out to Drew Saylor and Alex Zumwalt and whoever else we've got developing our hitters because they are freaking gods. Wait! I'm so sorry. Oh, no. I've just violated some kind of a uh, commandment. You shall not have false gods before the... Oh, my apologies, I forgot. How could this happen? Oh, I'm such an awful, awful Royals fan. I, I'm not following the laws of Christianity properly. The thing that rules above all. Of course, my apologies. Well, Drew Saylor and Alex Zumwalt, I shouldn't say they are gods. Let's just say they are very, very good hitting coordinators. Is that acceptable? All right. <sighs> Let's talk about the pitching. The pitching, pitching, pitching. The great dilemma of Kansas City. So, one positive thing. Let's actually go on, I guess, reverse order. Let's start with something very positive. Brady Singer. Brady Singer has been very, very fun to watch this season. It seems that he is approaching or reaching his ceiling that we all kind of expected or thought he would someday reach. And this is, I'm saying this despite the fact that his last start was actually not good. He went 4.2 innings, did not get out of the fifth inning, and gave up four earned runs. Sorry, I had a little bit of a burp right there. But... That comes after a stretch of nine starts in a row where he went six innings or more and only had one of those starts where he gave up four runs, which was uh, actually another start against the White Sox. It's funny, um, the last time he played against the White Sox, not like a couple days ago, but before that, I said that Brady Singer owns the White Sox. Yeah, good, good, on, good on me for saying that, huh? Well, we still won. We still won that game. So Brady Singer, you know, he didn't have his best stuff. And it, and it really looked like it. It really did not look like throughout the entire time he didn't have his best start. He, he didn't have his best stuff. But the offense came through, and we won 9-7. So that's great. And again, it comes after a stretch of nine great starts. So, he was bound to have a bad start, and it's not a big deal if he has a bad start. I mean, obviously, the best starting pitchers have bad starts every now and then. It happens. You know, that's just the result of fatigue catching up to him. Not in his arms, but his back after carrying the team for so long. So now, we're in what I would call 
extension speculation season. You know, what always happens whenever someone has a good season in Kansas City, we talk about extending him. Because we'd like to have him around for a while longer. People are saying that about Bobby Wood Jr., especially as Julio Rodriguez just signed a big mega contract with the Seattle Mariners. And it's a very interesting contract that can go in many different ways and pay out many more millions of dollars and go on for many more years, depending on results and things like that. And so some people have been saying, hey, why don't the Royals do this for Bobby Wood Jr.? Well, um... To put it bluntly, because I don't think Bobby Witt Jr. deserves that right now, he probably will at some point. Just, um, you know, maybe we should figure out what position he's going to play defensively long-term before giving him a $200 million contract or more than that. You know, I mean, I'm just saying, just saying, a couple weeks ago, everyone was saying, Oh no, Bobby Witt Jr. can't play shortstop anymore. Now it's Bobby Witt Jr. deserves to make $400 million? Hmm, interesting. Well, besides from aside from that, someone who has shown that he is worth an extension, I think, is Brady Singer. Because, again, this is what we've been expecting with Brady Singer. This is not some kind of weird, uh, you know, uh, random, out-of-nowhere improvement. You know, like, okay, again, like I said, anytime someone has a good season with the Royals, we talk about extending him. You know, that happened with Jorge Soler in 2019. It was also happening with Brad Keller in 2019. But Brady Singer is a lot better than Brad Keller. You know, back when when Brad Keller was good, and, you know, we'll talk about Brad Keller in a minute. But, you know, we were like, oh, we should extend Brad Keller because he's like the one average pitcher we have in this rotation. That was a... An interesting time. But Brady Singer is a lot better than that. We actually expect that this guy can be, I mean, maybe in a really good rotation, a number two or number three, but maybe he will be our best pitcher. Maybe he is our ace pitcher moving forward. I'm not saying he's going to be like a Cy Young contender, but I don't know. I mean, he could maybe in a really, really good season. But at the very least, we do think that this guy is going to have some good seasons. Maybe the best is yet to come for him. Because, again, we've seen he has really great stuff. He's really putting it together this season. Uh, the walks are way down. The command is improving a lot. He's he's mixing, up, he's mixing his pitches a lot better and throwing that changeup, which is just a... It's been a godsend for him. You know, having three pitches has completely transformed him from what he was before when he was a two-pitch pitcher. And so, yeah, I think that... And, and not only that, but also... This is someone who has been healthy throughout, throughout his entire career. He's always been expected to be someone who can, you know, throw a pretty solid amount of innings. He's someone who's expected to throw 200 innings in a season. So, yeah, I am, actually, I am actually pretty comfortable with giving Brady Singer an extension this season, assuming, you know, he himself would allow that. Would he? I don't know. Maybe. Let's just put it, let, let, let's try to make this work and let's, try making it work for both parties. There is one thing that the Royals really have going for them with Brady Singer, and it's that they have four more years of him before he actually hits free agency because he had some time in the minor leagues this season that basically, I guess, wipes out the the shortened season of 2020. Because back in 2020, you know, we called him up on the second day of the season. And some people were like, oh, no, we're wasting a year of Brady Singer. Well, now that's basically been undone because he had some time 
in the minor leagues this season, so it looks like we're going to have four more years out of it. So technically, this is only year two of Brady Singer as opposed to year three, and that's a huge deal. And I think that can really go a long way in extension discussions. Because now, when you're talking about salary and negotiating things like that, you're still negotiating the arbitration years, which is going to be less than what he would expect in free agency. So you can probably work out in a six-year deal right now, which, you know, covers those arbitration years, and then buys out two years of free agency, which would be a really big deal if Brady Singer, you know, is a consistently great pitcher, like we hope he will be. And you could still get that done for not a ton of money, even down the line. Here's what I'm going here's where I'm going with this. Six years, seventy million, with an option afterwards. So, six years, 70 million, how am I coming to this conclusion? Well, starting next year, of course, it would be 4 million, which is probably really generous. I don't think he would actually get that much in, you know, the pre-arbitration, or it's not, actually, he just goes straight up to, would he be actually, I have no idea if he's actually arbitration eligible next year. Like, he would have to be a Super 2 guy, wouldn't he? Or does he get four years of arbitration in general? I'm not entirely sure how, heck. I'm not entirely sure how this works, but even still, I think he would probably only get two or three million by normal means next season, so I'm kind of boosting that a little bit, and then 7.5 for the year after, and 10.5 for the year after that, so 2025, 2026 would be 13 million, so those are those four arbitration years, which again, I don't know if that's entirely what he gets, in all of those years, so I feel like I'm being a little bit generous with those arbitration years, and then 15 million for two years after that. So 26 and 2027, 20, he'd be making 15 million a year in all of those years, and that comes out to 65 million dollars for the next six seasons, starting next season. Okay, so how do we get to 70 million? How do we get another 5 million out of that? Well, that's for a buyout in 2028, which would uh, negate a $20 million team option for 2028. So you can take a $20 million option at 2028, which would drive up the value to seven years, 95 million, or you decline that option and you give him 5 million as a, as a buyout. So that comes out to six years, 70 million in total. So yeah, that's what I would do with Brady Singer pretty much right now. Maybe I'm being, in a way I feel like I was being a little generous with the arbitration, but then maybe with the free agent years that we're buying out, maybe he'd be expecting or demanding a little more than that. I'm not entirely sure. Who, who knows? It's not like he's a great pitcher. It's not like Brady Singer has been a great pitcher throughout his entire career. You know, we're, we're giving him an extension based on one good season, basically. So in a way, that's really risky. And sure, we're kind of doing this in the hope or expectation that down the line he'll be worth a lot more than this contract extension, but also guaranteed money. It's a big deal, especially if you're a pitcher where you can instantly lose one or even two seasons at a time to injury. Yeah, guaranteed money is sometimes really, really good to have. So 
I'm the Royals, I would try this. Somewhere in this ballpark, I would I would offer Brady Singer a six-year, $70 million extension this offseason. You know, maybe add a little more if you need to. Depends on what he wants. Does Brady Singer want to stay in Kansas City? That's been a that's kind of been a running joke for me where I just kind of think uh, Brady Singer probably hates us <laughs> and wants to leave. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe you can throw some money at him and be like, no, please don't go. You're so good at pitching. And that would be wonderful because let me tell you, I really like watching Brady Singer pitch and I really want him to stay in Kansas City. And I hope that he will. I hope he will going forward. And again, I hope the best is yet to come for him and for us. But you know who I don't think the best is yet to come for? Brad Keller. We mentioned him a little bit. And it turns out Brad Keller is moving to the bullpen, which is a strange sort of move that I actually did not see coming. And it's funny because, um, like I mentioned uh, earlier, there was one time when we really liked Brad Keller and we actually wanted him to stay in Kansas City. And I was one of those people. I was thinking, hey, you could probably extend Brad Keller for a few years for not a ton of money, and that'd probably be worth a lot. Not that I expected Brad Keller to be, like, an amazing pitcher, but he at the very least seemed like a reliable guy to have in, in your rotation. He could have been at the very least a back-end-of-the-rotation kind of guy. And that would be useful. That would be valuable for us. And now the conversation amongst Royals fans is like, why is Brad Keller still here? <laughs> oh, how the turntables. Yeah, um, David Lesky had been talking about Brad Keller being a non-tender candidate even before the transition into the bullpen. But, yeah, I'm thinking that's pretty likely at this point. I'm really not sure what benefit uh, the Royals would have by keeping Brad Keller around, even as a reliever. Like, even if Brad Keller can turn into a competent reliever, which I don't think is unlikely. He was actually very, very good out of the bullpen when he first debuted in 2018, and then he transitioned into a starter. Um, but even still, like, as of this year, he's making about $5 million in arbitration this year, okay? That number is only going to go up next season. I mean, it can go up by, I don't know, it could go up to six, seven million. I'm not sure how the numbers really work, how they increase. I don't think it would be like a huge jump because he's had, you know, a pretty bad season. And last season wasn't very good either, but still, you get what I'm saying. This really matters for the Royals. And yeah, I'm just not sure. Like, I don't think that it's really worth keeping Brad Keller around if he's just going to be a reliever. Why not use that few million that you might be thinking about using on Brad Keller and put it to an actual reliever, like someone who has major league experience as a competent reliever. I would much prefer that. So, yeah, I'm thinking Brad Keller's gone after this season, and it's it's another case of the Royals holding on to someone for way too long, where apparently they were taking calls on Brad Keller at the trade deadline, and for some reason, they decided to not trade him. And I was thinking, maybe optimistically, um, 
in the second half, he could improve and get back to being a somewhat decent starter, and then he could be traded this offseason. But, uh, yeah, that doesn't look like it's going to be happening. So, uh, yeah, it looks like Brad Keller's gone after this season. I would do that, personally. I would uh, non-tender him, don't offer him a new contract at the end of the season, and I wish him the best. And another sort of, um, I actually wouldn't say that this is someone who is like a negative um, contributor to the team lately. Actually, he's been all right. But I want to mention Zach Grenke. Because Zach Grenke, he's injured. He was placed on the injured list. Uh, I don't know when it happened exactly. But yeah, he's been... Injured, and that isn't the first time he's been injured this season. So um, that's very interesting. But Zach Greinke, he's he's been all right this season. He's actually been quite all right, and I'm I'm happy with what he's brought to the Royals this season. But there is a big question that a lot of people are asking, which is, does Zach Greinke come back next season? Personally, I'm kind of saying no. I don't know what Zach Greinke wants. And I don't think anybody does. I think that he's going to do whatever he wants. Um, but also, Greinke's a very, very intelligent baseball guy. I'm sure he's seen the metrics, the numbers. I'm sure he's read his own baseball savant page. And if he did, he would see that it's been very, very unkind to him. All of the advanced metrics... All that cool stuff that, you know, these intellectually minded baseball people are looking at and taking very seriously. It's not good. And I actually talked about this not too long ago. I forgot when it was, but I kind of mentioned how based on expected batting average and slugging and etc., etc., basically every single hitter turns into Xander Bogarts when they face Zach Greinke. It's, it's not very good. He has managed to outperform these expected stats and whatnot. And so, as a result, he's turned in a pretty acceptable season. 4.14 ERA in 108.2 innings. That's an ERA plus of 99, which basically puts him right at league average. Still, though, here's, here's another thing. He's been going down for a while now. He was, he's been trending downhill for the past two seasons Actually, past three seasons, if you include this season. He hasn't had, had a, an actually good season since 2019. That was the last time Zach Greinke was, like, basically just Zach Greinke that we all know and love. Since then, he's been about average. And I'm just not confident in bringing back a what will be a 39-year-old pitcher for another season because... It's kind of looking like this is his ceiling at this point. That you hope Zach Greinke will be an average pitcher. And if the Royals are serious about competing at all, in any capacity, next season, I don't think they should bring him back. Because I just don't think that he's going to be able to contribute like he has this season. Again, you kind of think, Zach Greinke hasn't been that good this season? Yeah, exactly. I don't even think he's going to be as, as good as he is this year, next year. I don't think he's going to have another season quite like this. Again, I think it's only going to get worse for him. 
I mean, he, and I don't even say this to be mean. Like, I really don't. I, I love Zach Krenke. Zach Krenke's freaking awesome. He's amazing. And I'm really glad we did bring him back this season. I have no regrets about that. I just don't think he has another season like this in him. Again, it's only going to get worse. I mean, case in point, this is the second time he's been on the injured list this season. Zach Greinke has, like, never, ever been injured, ever. This guy has been the embodiment of consistency and durability basically throughout his entire career. He had a 12-year stretch from 2008 to 2019 where he averaged more than 200 innings a year. From 2008 to 2019, that 12-year stretch, he threw a total of 2,400 innings. 2,415.2, to be exact. He has been extremely durable. This guy has, I mean, he, he might have had like a couple of weeks in a year or two where he was injured. Maybe a month, but that's about it. And this season, he's been injured twice. And he's been, and he's talked about it. He's been open about it. He's like, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I don't throw as well as I used to. I don't have the same durability that I used to. These things happen. Again, I, I'm sure Grunky knows all of this himself. I'm sure he knows himself way better than I know about him. Because this guy is probably the smartest baseball player who's alive right now. I'm just saying I'm not very optimistic about his future as a player, because I don't think it's very bright. I think it's only going to go downhill. I really wouldn't be surprised if this is his last season in Major League Baseball. So I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry if I'm kind of be I'm hurting someone's feelings because I actually uh, looked at a Royals review article that was posted a couple of days ago, where it's actually saying the Royals are interested in bringing back Zach Greinke next season, and JJ Piccolo has been saying like, "Yeah, we'll bring back Zach Greinke if he wants to come back. It's up to him." And then there's a poll at the end that has uh, 619 votes cast asking whether or not the Royals should bring back Zach Greinke. 90% have said yes, so I'll accept being the the big jerk. In this, but I mean, I, I I'm still just gonna stand by it. I don't think it's gonna go as well as it has gone this year. And also, like I said, if the Royals are serious about competing at all, which I know that they they are at least gonna pretend that they're serious about competing, like they do every year, like they did this year, like they did last year, like they do it every year. They'll they'll, they'll sign a couple of guys and be like, oh yeah, we think we can win the World Cup. I mean, 2018, they did that when they signed John Jay and Lucas Duda. Like, oh yeah, we think we have a team that can compete. Well, you know, what what they do? Good for you guys. I mean, I know they're gonna do that again next year. But if they want anybody to take them remotely seriously, I don't think they can do that by, you know, bringing back 39-year-old Zach Greinke. I would rather go out and get some starting pitchers who, you know, have a bit more reliability. That's what I want. Reliability. I think that we should be getting some starting pitchers that, you know, like I said, like I said, Zach Greinke's ceiling seems to be an average starting pitcher. I think we should go out and get some guys whose floor is being an average pitcher. And I do think that there are a lot of options for that. 
on the free agent market this offseason. And so we've been seeing a lot of discussion going around about that, about talking about like potential suitors for the Royals, like who can the Royals bring into this rotation? Because we know that we're not going to have a fully homegrown rotation next year. The rotation that we've dreamed of being Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich and Jonathan Bolin and Asa Lacey, it's not happening. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's going to happen really at any point. But we do have Brady Singer, who's, you know, good. He's an established guy. I'm confident in Daniel Lynch going forward if we get a new pitching coach. I'm really, really confident that if we change the pitching coach at the major league level, Daniel Lynch is going to take a huge step forward and it's going to be great for us. And then our number five guy could be, I don't know, Chris Bubich, maybe. Jonathan Heasley, maybe. We have some options there. We have some we have some depth at the number five spot, which is uh, not really something that you really want to have a lot of depth on. You would like to have some depth that, you know, the number three spot or something like that. But still, I think we can find some guys to fill in there. So from there, I think the Royals can go out and get at least one starting pitcher, one good, decent starting pitcher to really help out this rotation and fill it out a little better. Preferably two, because again, there's quite a lot of guys on the free agent market that I think can help out the Royals a lot. Some guys that can be, you know, at least average, hopefully. And I think the two guys that I really want personally, I want them for a variety of reasons. I want them because I think that they can be average at the very least, and I don't think they're going to command huge, long contracts. I think we can get away with signing some guys to, you know, two- or three-year deals. And, you know, not have them be long-term pieces, but, you know, have them fill in for at least a couple of years while we hopefully work to contention and maybe see other options in the future. And also, they have... Really, really great hair, which is important to me. That's more important than a lot of things. I wouldn't say it's the most important thing ever, but look, we need some hair guys on this team, all right? And that's exactly why the Royals should sign Mike Clevenger and Noah Syndergaard. And I want these two guys in the rotation next year. If not, huge failure on everyone's part. I'm not going to be a Royals fan anymore. I denounce my fandom. That's not true. I, I, I won't be that upset. Um, but yeah, let's get Clevenger, let's get Syndergaard. I think that these two have a floor of being average starters, which really, it seems like that's what the Royals need more than anything. Because I think that we do have a lineup that can compete. I think that we can actually have a lineup that can, you know, be like a top 10 lineup potentially. And if we do, then it's not such a huge deal if we don't have the best pitching. It's not a huge deal if we have, like, the 18th best starting rotation because our lineup can get through it. Now, could we do better than that? Sure. If you really want to get Carlos Rodon, I think that he could be amazing with the Royals. Do the Royals have the money? Actually, yeah, they do. I'm kind of bringing this up because the Royals really don't have a lot on their payroll going forward, especially if they're going to non-tender Brad Keller. And Adalberto Mondesi also has to be part of this conversation because he's another arbitration guy. He made $3 million this year. You really have to wonder what they're going to do with Mondesi. 
I'm in t- I'm really not sure. Like, there's a part of me that does want to see Mondesi back because I do believe that Mondesi can contribute greatly to this team. You know, we've seen him on his good days. He can be an incredible player. It's also um, just very rare to see those good days because it's very rare to see him playing at all. And even when he does play, he seems to be very inconsistent. So I guess I'm leaning towards, no, we shouldn't bring back Mondesi. And if we don't, that saves a couple million dollars that, you know, can go into a better free agent, particularly a pitcher, because we need a lot of pitching. But aside from that, yeah, the Royals really don't have a lot in guaranteed salary. I know everyone's upset with the Hunter Dozier thing, but it's only $7 million, whatever, Salvi is basically the biggest chunk, and he's getting, like, what, $20 million next year or something like that? So, I mean, that's obviously a lot. But then, again, it's him and Hunter Dozier, and then, uh, I don't know, Michael A. Taylor technically, but that's, again, someone you trade this offseason. It's basically just arbitration guys after that, which is not going to be a ton, especially because, like, the biggest arbitration guys, I mean, again, assuming Brad Keller and Mondesi are gone, you know, the arbitration guys are like Nicky Lopez. Oh, and I guess technically Amir Garrett and also Luke Weaver. Not entirely sure what happens with those guys either. Uh, let, let, this is all to say. The Royals payroll is extremely light moving forward. It's basically Salvi and Dozier and no one else. So they actually can afford to spend... As much as, like, $50 million next year on starting pitching. I mean, granted, you also have to think ahead because, I mean, obviously we have room to spend right now, but it's not like, you know, if you sign a five-year deal to someone, it's going to matter where the Royals are at in five years. And in five years, you're going to be seeing arbitration go up for Nick Prado and Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ Melendez, etc., etc. You know, that's kind of the consequence of having all these guys come up all at once. Remember what happened back in 2016 and 2017 when we had all those arbitration salaries? Yeah, uh, I guess the Royals are going to do that again. Which, I don't know, maybe this time it'll go a little better because we have, hopefully, a more generous owner than David Glass. But, you know... It's a little bit fun to think about this. It's fun to think about the players that could come to the Royals and contribute positively as we watch an offseason of nothing happening whatsoever, and then we go into the next season thinking, well, maybe this season we'll win 78 games, and then we win 64 instead. Go team! Well, that's about all I have to say for today. Um, It felt like it wasn't a whole lot, but I talked for an hour anyway. So this was probably an absolutely atrocious episode. Aren't you glad to see me back again? Yay! Make sure you're subscribed also so you can hear me say more dumb stuff about the Royals. We'll get back into um, the regular rhythm and whatnot next week, of course. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's when we're going to get back to uploading. And uh, yeah, so I'll see you on Monday after we conclude this series that we're about to start against the Detroit Tigers. Ooh, a team that we can finally beat. Isn't that exciting? Maybe we'll see some good things happen again. Maybe the offense will come back to life. Maybe the pitching won't be so bad every single day, aside from Brady Singer. And we can look forward to the end of the season. We're in the final stretch of this 
Um, admittedly, kind of terrible and miserable season that the Royals have had, but it's been a very interesting journey with you all. So thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Follow the Twitter at Royal Deluxe Pod for more instantaneous commentary, or send me an email at Royal Deluxe Pod for, I don't know, some more professional responses or things like that. I'm not actually sure. I'm still not entirely sure what the email does, but I have it, so I might as well mention it. In any case, thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux, and go Royals! Yeah!